your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 34. The title of this message is Rejoice in the Lord's Deliverance. And we'll read and see how the Lord had delivered David in his response in this psalm. So we're going to start with the superscript up above chapter 34 of Psalms, where it reads, Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the, of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes and ears, that we may hear the words that you would speak to us tonight. And Lord, that we would be able to worship you and praise you and rejoice in your great deliverance. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1957, the Yugoslavia borders were closed to outside Christians and missionaries coming into the country. And it was at this time that Andrew Vanderbijl was traveling to, towards the Yugoslav border. And Andrew, better known as Brother Andrew, had suitcases packed full of Bibles translated in the local language, as well as gospel tracts among his belongings. And as he approached the border, and two border patrol guards came out to greet him, he prayed, he said, Lord, while you were on this earth, 
You made the blind to see. I pray at this time, you would blind those that do see, so your word would go forth. And as he stopped there at the border, the two guards came out, and he struck up casual conversation about the weather as they went through his camping gear and his suitcases, and he was nervously looking around as they went through his belongings and asked if he had anything to declare. And he says, oh, just small things. And they asked what was in his suitcases, and he says, oh, just belongings and and different things like that. And they opened up the suitcase that among his clothes were the Bibles as well as many of the spiritual tracts. And he began to get a little bit nervous, but he began to just continue to talk about casual things. And he noticed that the guard who was searching through the suitcase wasn't really paying attention to what he was doing. He was more listening to the conversation he was having with the other guard. And so soon after that, they zipped up his suitcase, stamped his passport, and sent him on his way. And he began to rejoice at the Lord's deliverance. This is very similar to the story that we have here, the account of David. From the superscript, we read of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. And you may recall back from 1 Samuel 21 when King Saul wanted to kill David and David fled to the Philistine territory and he went to the land of Gath and the people, the Philistines brought him before the king and he says, they reminded him of the songs that were sung about David. This is David. Remember, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousands. And David began to act crazy. He began foaming at the mouth and clawing at the doors, the doorposts. And eventually the king said, what do I, I don't need another crazy man and sent him away. And David began to rejoice. And you may think, you know, that might not sound all that significant. But kids, you may remember the city of Gath and the king of Gath. And a light bulb may go on in your mind as you think about, wait a minute, wasn't there somebody else that was from Gath? And it's then that you remember that it was Goliath that was from Gath, whom David slew. And when they sang about David killing his ten thousands, they were Philistines and likely many of them from Gath. So you understand that David coming before the king of Gath was like a death sentence. But the Lord had blinded his eyes and he had delivered David. And this is the rejoicing of David as The Lord delivered him. And we'll see his response really in four different ways. The first way that we'll look at is David's worship. And secondly, we'll look at David's witness. And third, we'll look at David's wisdom. And fourth and finally, we will look at David's weakness. So we'll see wisdom, witness, uh, sorry, worship, witness, wisdom, and weakness. So look with me at verse 1, chapter 34, and David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. There are several things that should stand out to us in this. You remember that it was David who was delivered from the king of Gath. But throughout this entire psalm, he doesn't really recount the activities that had occurred of that one-time event. But what does he say? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And it's not just that we should bless the Lord when he deliver us one time, but we should have a life that worships the Lord continually. And we rejoice. And again, I say rejoice in the Lord. And that should be the attitude and the life of those who are delivered by the Lord. Notice that it says, I will praise him with my mouth. It's not just cognitive. It's not just good intellectual notes. That's interesting. Let me write those things down. But it is something that is coming out of his mouth. From out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it is an overflowing of joy that we see here with David. And he says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. And it's coming from deep within him. It's not just some superficial external going through the motions. But it is joy overflowing in the life of David because he has received salvation from the Lord. And he goes on to say, um, let the humble hear and be glad. So he's boasting in the Lord and he's asking, he's saying, let the humble hear. And James Montgomery Boyce pointed out this. He says, it's almost like a seesaw. You know, when one side's up, the other side is down. And when we're boasting in the Lord, we should be very humble. But the minute we start to boast in ourselves, our view of the Lord tends to go down. If we want to have a proper perspective of the Lord, we need to make sure that we're humble. And then we will be able to hear and be glad. And then he goes on to say in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. So he invites others to come in and magnify the Lord with him. In the Christian faith, there are no lone rangers. There is no solo efforts out there. We are part of a community. And David recognizes this, and he invites the whole community, come in and magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt, lift him up, lift up his name together. And I love this word that's magnify. And we were having a discussion this week among our family, and I was thinking of like a, a magnifying glass or a microscope, because it takes something that's very small and it makes it bigger so that you could see it more clearly. And Matthew gently and respectfully corrected me, and he said, no, Dad, it's actually more like a telescope. Because God is so vast and he's big and, he, and you take something that is so massive and you bring it into better focus so that you can see him more clearly in his greatness, in his vastness. And that's exactly what it's talking about here is that you want to see the Lord closely. You don't make the thing actually any bigger, but you see it so much clearer. So the first thing that we see here as David is rejoicing in the Lord's deliverance is his worship. Now let's look at verse 4 as we look at David's witness. 
And he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And I'm amazed at the number of testimonies that I'm talking to other believers. The number of times when they said, you know, I cried out to the Lord. Lord, please show yourself to me. Let me know that you're real. And the Lord being faithful and revealing himself to them. And in reality, that's my testimony. The Lord had brought me to a low point in my life when I couldn't understand what the purpose of life was all about. And I just, I cried out to the Lord, not defiantly, but desperately. Lord, if you're real, show me, show me. As a matter of fact, just this past Thursday, a young man walked into my office and he was selling banana bread as a fundraiser um, for this particular home that helps people who are addicted to drugs. And his name was Chance. And I struck up a conversation with Chance and I was sharing with him my testimony about how I cried out to the Lord, Lord, show me. And Chance said, that's my testimony. That's my testimony. He said, he told me a little bit about his history. He had gotten involved in methamphetamines and was addicted to drugs and strung out. He was homeless. He had watched his best friend be shot and killed, murdered right before his eyes. And he was walking down the road dejected. And he said, he said, I didn't really even believe in God. I didn't really even believe there was a God. But I said, Lord, if you're real, please show me. And it was about that time that a car pulled up next to him. And the person opened the door and said, hey, I don't ever pick up people just walking, but I drove by you once and I just felt a need. I was praying to God and I, I circled back around and, and the Lord, I just had this strong feeling. He said, pick this guy up. And he said, I was just praying, Lord, if you're real, show me. And that person shared the gospel with chance. He told him how we are all sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And because we have sinned, we deserve death. And God is a God of love, but he's a God of justice. And he says, I will by no means clear the guilty. And his solution to our problem was Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life, who didn't sin once. He didn't deserve death, but he gave his life up willingly for ours. And he went to the cross, and they buried him in the grave. And on the third day, he rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us even right now, this moment. And he said it was at that point in time, right there, that I cried out to God and said, Lord, save me. And the Lord is faithful. He says, seek me and you will find me. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you tells us in the book of Malachi, he says, return to me and I will return to you. Isn't it so uplifting to know that we serve a faithful God, that when we seek him, he will be found and we can draw near to him. He's not only transcendent or far beyond us, but he's eminent. He's close to each and every one of us. And it goes on in verse 5, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And I can't help but think of 
a time when Susan and I started dating, and someone had a video camera out, and they were just drawing up casual conversation, and they said, so what's going on between you and Susan? And I tell you, you couldn't hide the joy on my face. And that's the way that it should be with our relationship with Jesus Christ, because it's not a religion. It is a relationship that we have as he is near to us, and that he promises us that he will be our God, and we will be our pe- his people, and we will, he will dwell among us. And it says that their faces shall never be ashamed. In my conversation with Chance, he said, you know, I've been out here all day in this heat, and it's been a challenging day. And there's so many times when it's just really hard. And I don't feel like I'm saved. And I was able to open up Psalm 34 and share with Chance and say, Lord, show Chance that it is not about a feeling. It is about what you have done on the cross and the state that we are in because you have brought us from death to life. That we can never be ashamed and we can have confidence that if the Lord has saved us, that we are saved. All that the Father has given to him, he has lost none. David goes on and he says in verse 6, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And so David has this back and forth of his personal witness and his personal testimony. And then he's reassuring others of the promises that they can count on with God. And we see as David rejoices in the Lord's deliverance, his witness. Now look with me in verse 8 as we look at David's wisdom. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And we see here, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And David is wanting us as the readers to take this information from our mind and put it in our heart because he wants us to experience the Lord. It's not enough just to know about him. But he wants us to know him that we can taste and see. Because once you have experienced the love of Christ and you have seen the Lord face to face, your life changes. And he gives you new spiritual glasses in which to see the world. He gives you a new spiritual hearing aid in which you hear things in what's going on around you. And suddenly you begin to see everything in light of Holy Scripture and what he has commanded. Now I could tell you about what it tastes like to have bluebell ice cream. But until you have experienced it, you don't know what bluebell ice cream tastes like. And so he wants us to have an experiential faith. One that is put into action because we have tasted and seen what the Lord 
uh, that the Lord is good. And it's really interesting. We've been going through the and, and reading. We went through First Peter, and now we're in Second Peter. But First Peter, uh, Peter draws so much from Psalm thirty-four, and what Peter talks about, First Peter two one, is he says, "So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander." Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. When you have tasted the sweetness of Jesus Christ, your life is never the same again. And you can delight and see that the Lord is good. And you can know that blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And you fear the Lord. And really, that's what the wisdom is all about, is fearing the Lord. And um, David is picking up at the end of verse 7, where he says, all those who fear him and delivers them. And he's expanding upon that, because it talks about four different times the fear of the Lord. And that fear changes who you are. There's 10 imperatives from verse 8 to verse 14 of action to go and do. And then in verse 9, it says, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Perhaps many of you are familiar with the story of Michael Oher, which was made famous by the movie The Blind Side. And Michael Ohor was a giant of a man who grew up impoverished in the Memphis area. And this rich family had taken him in and adopted him and went to a private school and became very good at football. But one of the things about Michael Ohor is that he would go to Taco Bell and he would order on the menu, but he would always get a lot more than he really needed because he wanted to be able to store up extra. So the refrigerator was filled with Taco Bell leftovers. And finally, the father who had brought him in, he says, Michael, I own 17 Taco Bells. We're not going to run out. I own the store. And as believers, how often do we, is our faith so small without realizing that our Father owns it all? And that we can say, those who fear Him have no lack. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing at the end of verse 10. And then David says, come, O little children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who, who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So verse 12, we see that it says, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life 
and have it abundantly. And what is being said here, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit through David, is do you want to have this richness of life? Do you want to have the abundant life that I intended for you? Turn from your sin and turn towards me. Keep your tongues from evil. Stop speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek me, seek peace, and pursue after it. Go after it with everything that you have. And this should remind us of the book of James, right? Where James talks about our tongue being uh, deadly poison, something that sparks fires. He uses the analogy of a ship, and our tongue is a small rudder that controls it. And who can tame it? We have to submit to the captain of our ship, and only he can direct our paths as he changes us from the inside out, and it affects not only the way that we speak, but the way that we think and the way that we act. And so we turn from our sin, and we turn towards Christ. So now that we've seen the wisdom putting our faith into practice. Let's look at David's weakness in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, they, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Reminds me when, I was, when our kids were little, and we really wanted them to pay attention. What we would do is we would take their little cheeks and we'd say, look at me in the eyes, and listen. And you knew when you had their face that they were going to be listening. And that's the way your heavenly father is towards the righteous. If you are in Christ, you have the ears, you, you have the God of the universe listening to you, hearing your prayers. Before you're in Christ, you're at enmity with God and the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But when you come to Christ... He hears your cries, and he is with you. As it goes on to tell us in verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and crushed and saves the crushed in spirit. Immediately our minds should go to Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are those who are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And we see in verse 19, it's not always easy because it says many are the afflictions of the righteousness, righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And he tells us in Matthew 28, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And he is near to the brokenhearted, and he delivers them all out of all of their afflictions. And this is interesting in verse 20. Take note of this, where he says, He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Very subtly, David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he changes the pronoun. Many are the afflictions of the righteousness, but the Lord delivers him, singular third person, out of them all. He keeps all his bones, 
not one of them is broken. Because the Lord Jesus Christ went to the cross and He suffered on our behalf. And it's by His wounds that we are healed. And when they went to break His legs, He was already dead. He had already paid the price, paid in full the penalty that we owed. And so, the affliction in verse 21 will slay the, right, the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So contrast that with verse 19, the afflictions of the righteous, the Lord delivers them out of, the all, out of them all, but the affliction will slay the wicked. They're not delivered. The things of this world, the cares of this life will overcome them. But we get great comfort in verse 22. The Lord redeems the life of his servant. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. He bought us back. He purchased us out of our sin, out of death and misery, to give us life and life everlasting so that we could have communion with him. And none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. And we see in David's weakness a return to worship. Because it's then when you recognize your weakness in the Lord's deliverance that you can rejoice and you can say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And we see this spiral of worship to weakness and weakness to worship as the Lord delivers us. In 1851, there was a ship full of missionaries going to South America to be able to mission to, uh, to evangelize the people that were there. But the ship never made it. And the ship sunk and they were shipwrecked onto this deserted island. And one of the surviving passengers, Alan Gardner, kept a journal. And in his journal, the very last entry before he starved to death, this is what it read. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I am filled with the goodness of the Lord. May you be filled with the goodness of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you love us, that you have bought us back, that you have redeemed us from death, and that you are near to the brokenhearted. We know that we do not have to go through trials and tribulations alone, but you draw us closer to you, and you deliver us out of all of our troubles. In your Son's name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our hymn of meditation, hymn number 347. Oh, nope, sorry. Other side. Hymn of response on Jordan's stormy banks.
Hallelujah. What a sermon. Thank you, Mike. We are bound for the promised land, brothers and sisters. Receive your benediction. And after you have suffered just a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.